Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. at sea. This is George Spaulding from Pink Elephant, and this is another rendition of Practitioner Radio. Practitioner Radio number 72. Woo! With me today is my partner in crime, my friend Troy Dumoulin. Troy, say hello. Hey, George. It's been a long time since we did this practitioner radio thing. Practitioner 72, Troy. I'm feeling old. I'm feeling (laughs) old. With us today, to add a little maturity to the group, we have Matt Craig. Matt is with PNY Mellon, which is a bank, I believe, in New York. And Matt told me his title. He's with the office of the CIO, but he told me his title and After I didn't understand it, I asked him to explain it himself. So, Matt, if you would introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about what you do at BNY Mellon. Sure. Thanks very much, George. And hi, George and Troy. So um, my title is the head of the Performance and Value Management Group. And that is a bit of a, a curious title. You might say, what does that mean? And I can summarize it. Really what it means is my job is to help our technology organization. We have thousands of people in technology at BNY Mellon. Um, it's to help the technology organization understand and create more value for our business and for our clients by looking into how well we perform And really looking at the different ways that we perform, different perspectives on performance, so that we can drive continual improvement and increase our value. Okay. And indeed, business value is is one of the big pushes that, that we're experiencing and have been really for years. But truthfully... If we're honest, Troy and I are honest at least, um, <laughs> we, we were talking about business value back in 2011 and 2012, and we would say, you got to do business value. That's what we need. We need more business value from IT. And then somebody would have the temerity to ask, uh, how do I do that? And um, we didn't have great answers. I mean, we talked about services, and, and we talked a lot about services being a means of delivering value. But in the end, it, it felt a little smoke and mirrors. It, it wasn't as concrete as we wanted. Yeah, it's really lean that's really kind of focused us on the definition of value. And that's been a, a big help that lean's brought to the industry. Yeah. So oh, go ahead, George. Go ahead. No, well, I was well, just going to chip in so, maybe with a thought, if you don't mind, which is, you know, this, this no, concept of, of value has been around for a long, long time. I mean, you could say all businesses are predicated on delivering value to their customers, but uh, clarifying what that exactly means, as you say, is, is not an, it's an easy thing to understand, but it's not such an easy thing to influence or to describe in, in clear detail. It really depends, again, on your context. So go ahead. What? It's not just describing it. Is it, you know, if you can describe it, then your next challenge is even if you described it well and clearly and definitively, you still have the, the real challenge, which is how do I get there? How do I do? What do I do? And who defines value in this case anyway? <laughs> so it's this whole voice of customer critical to quality conversations where Lean brings us to that kind of 
point of clarity. And, and so while we're on this lean conversation, so a lot of the push at Pink over the last, well, really, it's been the last couple of years, and it's really taken off um, in the last year, last 12 months, since last summer, has been not just lean, but actually the combination of ITSM and building on top of that with lean, building on top of that with agile and agile methodologies and principles, both for development and for uh, project management, and then kind of capping the whole thing with DevOps. And all of those certainly uh, involve organizational change, at least as we've experienced it and as we've seen it. So, but I tend to, tend to think that our focus, my focus certainly, and I think Troy's a little bit, has been on the frameworks. And my understanding, Matt, is that while the frameworks are nice, your focus is somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll admit to being a framework fan myself, um, but I, I guess my focus has, has always been on what can we do to help our people be successful, right? And and, and you can take that as well in different contexts. You can um, one of the things I actually like there's a, there's a book I like. I think it's White Space Revisited by Giri Rumler. Um, he was the fellow who originally came up with the. Uh, the swimland kind of diagram back in the 80s at, at Motorola, I think he was. Anyway, he's very um, both people and value-centric, and th they have a way of looking at, you know, what's the dimensions of organizational performance and how would you influence an organization at the enterprise level? How would you influence it at a group or team level or at a service level in, in our terminology in many cases or at the individual level? So I think coming back to understanding those different layers of organizational context of people and teams and overall enterprise is very useful. Um, but in terms of Framework, so that's just kind of a, a simple model out of that book. But in terms of frameworks, one of the things that we've actually used for a number of years at BNY Mellon is actually a capability framework. And we've used it. It's, it's called the IT Capability Maturity Framework. Um, and it was developed uh, it, and, and is, con, con, is sort of hosted by a university-based group out of Ireland. A lot of people contribute to it, but it's a, it's a really helpful uh, another perspective. It's like looking at another dimension of organizational performance in concert with service management. So we really use both ITIL and service management principles and processes and, and roles, as well as capability management and capability improvement. And we've, we continue to work out ways to weave those two things together. Um, and I'll tell you, and we can, we can sort of, you can tell me where you want to go from a discussion perspective, but um, there's a lot of interplay and there's, there's a decent amount of complexity, but on the other hand, it's a fairly simple um, structure. And if you think of it this way, um, if you think of services uh, as the means to deliver value, right? And so therefore services are packaged um, parts of organizational function, you know, multiple parts of the organization coming together in different ways, different patterns, if you will, to create some kind of valuable benefit for an end user or customer. So so that's one way of looking at the structure of the organization, and I consider that to be vertical, customer at the top and all the underpinning parts of the organization going all the way back down to basic resources, really, and everything in the middle. So that's kind of this vertical aspect of the company. And then there's what I consider the horizontal dimension, which are families of practice or capabilities. So families of practice and capabilities, I sort of think of them as basically the same thing. So our ability, for instance, to manage services is a capability, or the ability of our organization to manage people or projects or risk or finances or innovation or many other things. Um, and sort of those Families of practice or domains are, are some of the things that we get out of this maturity framework, and it helps us to look at what's the influence of maturity or immaturity 
on the performance of our services and the ability to meet the needs of our customers. So we're, Matt and I first kind of intersected on this conversation. We were discussing uh, what we've talked about previously on other practitioner radios, what I'd like to try to describe as the three architectures uh, of a service organization. And it's really about this whole, how do we move from a technical orientation to a service orientation? And I'll link to this in the show notes so people can kind of look that up. But I've you know, found a way to articulate that this value capability is delivered via three architectures. And so I talk about the technical architecture, and we all understand what that is, this relationship of technical resources. But I also refer to the process architecture, and that's where ITIL comes in. I have on the front end you know, the conversation of demand and portfolio and business relationship management, and we move all the way through the life cycle to supply and you know, deliver. And both of these, if you picture this kind of like a sandwich, technical on the bottom, process on top, they both deliver a service architecture. And this is where Matt's going to deliver this service. We need certain capabilities, right? And that's kind of the combination of the top and bottom layers. Uh, so I'm describing this, and I'm thinking I'm, you know, being, you know, very articulate in how to do, understand how you move from a technical to service, because the technical understands it only has one. A service organization understands there are actually three. And Matt asked the question, but where are the people? And I'm going, yes, you're right. There's actually kind of a box behind all of this that says to be good at any process capability or any technical capability or the combinations for the service, you need. You need capabilities that have been defined for each of these where the right skills and knowledge, right? So this is where we got into this whole our work around the uh, European Capability Framework or the Skills Framework for Information Age called SOFIA. And this whole people aspect, and Matt rightly said, well, wouldn't there be a fourth architecture, Troy, the people architecture kind of underlying the whole back end? So this is why you know, when we got to this practitioner radio together, I said, this is cool. Like, this is the foundational fourth, fourth architecture. And so, George, I know we've talked about the ECF model quite a bit. Right. And so, Matt, I guess one of my questions is, in this capability maturity model that you're talking about, the IT capability maturity model, or is it a maturity model or just a model? Um, it's uh, Are there roles specified for each of these different capabilities, or uh, do you kind of play it? Is it just an idea that you then apply your organization tell me more about it sure so uh, and i'll tell you I've, I've looked a fair bit into the sophia the skills framework for the information age as well and and what i see is and so i'll, I'll answer your question george but just to provide some context the sophia uh, uh framework is a great system for looking at individual competence right individual skills levels of competence for for individual roles within the organization um, the ITCMF, the IT Capability Maturity Framework, it is a maturity framework to answer that question. Um, and in fact, that's one of the things we've found to be quite useful about it because what it does, it kind of packages up organizational maturity into different um, levels of detail. Let's just call it that. So you can sort of say, hey, how mature are we as an organization? Are we at level one, two, or three? And there's kind of gradations between that. But you can break it down. They have what they call critical capabilities. That's kind of the, the working nuts and bolts of the framework. There's 36 of those capabilities defined. Those break down further into individual domains of practice. One of the things about this maturity framework with these different levels of detail is that we can understand where we are, uh, how mature we are in different dimensions. So how, how mature are we at running projects or at managing risk or managing people or, or so on? And we can do that by, by looking at it at different levels of detail. It's helped to give us 
improvement pathways that we can then choose. And I think that's one of the most critical things. Like as Troy was saying, this aspect of the, the people dimension or the sort of people framework is as we've seen in our efforts to improve our organization, it's critical to have people on board. And one of the best ways to have them on board is to make them active players in the improvement effort. So it's not saying, hey, here's a best practice model, like here is the best way to do incident management or the best way to do change management or the best way to do project management. But what, what instead we do is we say, let's discover for ourselves what are the things that we do um, you know, what's reality look like and kind of one of those basic principles of process improvement is to start with where you are. So we ask our people throughout the organization in these different families of practice, what does your world look like? You know, how, uh, what practices do you use and how effective do you find them to be in achieving your ends in, in sort of getting your work done? And, you know, through that, so we basically run assessments. Through that, we get a picture of how mature the organization is. We have many business units. We have many geographies. You know, BNY Mellon is a, a global financial services institution, so we have a fair bit of complexity and size. And so through running assessments and getting insight, we're then able to feed that insight back to our different teams of people, either per service or per capability family, and illustrate, here's what we look like, and here are some pathways towards becoming more mature and effective. So that's a really good thing. But you know, to your question, George, about other skills and roles articulated, not to a great extent within this particular capability framework, because capabilities are sort of seen as if you will, organizational assets, like how effective is the organization at supporting the practice of good, you know, again, project management or, or whatever. And then we can apply so skills. Is, Go ahead. Yeah. So this is where we still need to use like a, a framework like the ECF, the SOFIA model, yep. because you could outline the capability. What must I be good at? That's what capability is, something I have to be good at. But then I have to ask myself, what do people need to be able to do in order to be able to fulfill being good at that capability? And so that's where we have to layer in the what are the specific knowledge areas, the things I have to know based on acquired knowledge, and what skills, which are kind of unique individual traits, what's the combination of that for a change manager, right, or an architect, or uh, if someone who's in information security. We would predefine the, the knowledge and skills required to be successful because how many times have we heard, well, you've, you've asked me to do this now, capability that you've defined as good, but I, do I have the right skills and knowledge to be able to be successful? So that piece is missing a lot of times from organizational transformation. Yep. Predetermining that persona, quote unquote, or role that needs to be in this position to be successful. Yeah. And the other thing I would say about that, Troy, as well, is one of the things we've been trying to foster is sort of, if you will, both internal and external facing, uh, but, but very much internal communities of practice around these different roles or capabilities so that individuals, you know, across the company can support one another in this evolution or maturity of, of practice, whether it's enterprise architecture or service management. And by having those people work together, they can help each other discover what are some of the, the good things to be implemented, you know, what are some of the good practices and processes so they can, you know, we find that that community approach helps people learn and also keeps them engaged. Okay. I think there's really three, three, three voices. Can I, can I just explore this a little bit more, George, before you uh, drop us? <laughs> okay, Troy, go ahead. 
All right. So to know what is the person need to be, this is actually a few different perspectives. There's the community, right? That's kind of a self-managing team, perhaps a cross-functional team, a DevOps slash agile team, and they collectively maybe have this sense. So there's that mutual discovery. There is there's maybe an exemplar, someone in the organization that, quote unquote, is the persona of perfection for that role. Can I capture some of the knowledge and skills that that person has? Uh, there's the manager who has a very different role in these cross-functional teams because he's no longer managing the direct work of the team member that's in one of them, but he is ensuring that the team has the right skills and competencies to be effective on these self-managing teams. And then there's that external reference like ECF or Sophia. So pull all of these together, and I think you've got an answer. How do we define what that right mixes for that persona or role. Right. Makes sense. Okay, I have, I'm interrupting now, I'm interjecting. <laughs> okay, there's two things that, uh, that Matt said like five minutes ago that I really need some clarification on. One is you said you do assessments against, I'm assuming, the maturity uh, framework, and then you report the results of those assessments to the various organizations within your enterprise. And uh, I'm interested to see, A, do they like that? Do they like getting those assessments? Do they, they consider that helpful? I could easily see some people who we would call forward thinking saying, wow, what a great assessment. This is perfect. Thanks so much. And I could see other people just blowing it off saying, hey, leave me alone. I'll do my own thing. Explain how that works a little bit, would you please? Yeah, it's a great question, George. And I would say, in summary, the, the reception of the assessments is, is positive. And the reason for that is it's generally an aggregate reflection of what people are experiencing anyway. So uh, I think one of the benefits for us is we run our own assessments um, internally, so we're not dependent on, a, on an external consultancy to run them, uh, which is helpful because we can engage in dialogue as we run the assessments to get a sense of of again business context you know i'll talk to some of the the enterprise business leaders and others around their expectations of it performance and around uh, which capabilities do they believe are important for us to work on those kinds of things uh, and so you know the overall reception is is quite positive people appreciate seeing this aggregate picture of what is the opinion of what's our current maturity look like how important different capabilities considered to be for performance as well as you know what do we see as our aspirational future state you know what are the different different aspects of capability that uh, many people within the organization would like us to improve. So that sense of focus is helpful. And also we get a lot of comments. Uh, you know, the assessment is, is both sort of a survey as well as a series of interviews. And having that insight sort of distilled down and, and reported out and then communicated um, is has been, you know, I've found it to be helpful and I generally receive a positive response from our business and technology leaders. Um, and it gives the teams responsible for those domains uh, something practical to latch onto and then continue their own investigation, their own, if you will, engagement with other people. I mean, one of the other things I think is really important about this, this context of capabilities is none of them stand alone. Um, you know, it's all interdependent and interrelated. And so you have to be very aware of hey, you know, it's not all, for instance, just about project management. Project management is useless without, say, development and business analysis and relationship management and financial, you know, there's many other things that come into play. And back to what Troy was saying, therefore, that kind of starts to give you a picture of a role profile where you can describe a little bit more clearly what are the roles that someone, you know, what are the skills that someone needs to fulfill in a certain role to be successful. 
But I, th- I think the other thing, even just saying all this, you know, I become aware of one of the big challenges with this domain, which is it does get complicated, right? When you start mixing all these things in, you say, well, what are the, what's the service? What capabilities does it depend on? What's the business value that we're trying to create? Who are we trying to create that business value for? It all starts to get a little bit twisted up. And I think that's a big challenge because some people may get put off. And actually, I'll tell you one other thing, and maybe you didn't ask this, George, but I think it's an important point. When you look at capabilities, some of them are very obvious. You know, things like, for instance, project management has a natural role associated with it of the project manager. So saying, hey, we need to improve our organizational capability of project management, and we have a natural group of people who should lead that improvement, which is our group of project managers, that makes sense. But when you talk about some other capabilities, things that I tend to call enabling capabilities, such as knowledge management or maybe innovation management, those things are less obviously connected to a specific role, but they're things that we all do. And so choosing ways to improve the ability for the enterprise to manage its knowledge assets is less easy because, you know, the ownership can be more challenging and the application of skills, you know, who needs to be good at managing knowledge assets? All of us, uh, you know, that can be challenging as well. There's also an ongoing uh, aspect to knowledge management, which is knowledge has a shelf life. And, uh, you know, management involves actually getting rid of some of the knowledge, that kind of discussion as well. Sure. Okay, one last question, and I'm kind of going to turn this over to you guys because you're the smart people. You you mentioned, you talked about communities, and I I heard it, and it sounded like a group of people who, and you said, I even think that they get together and that they support each other and things like that. I need to know how that works. How does that look? So how it works, and and this is still an evolving thing for us, uh, and we have some communities that are very strong and vibrant and have a lot of interaction and and others that we would like to and and don't. Uh, They're very much, in many cases, they're, if you will, sort of volunteer participation, and they truly are communities of domains of practice. So things like, as I said, my example about knowledge management, that's maybe a little bit more of a difficult community for people to come to. Um, The way it works, you know, on the ground, if you will, is we use internal social media Media kind of platform for people to host uh, discussions, to post documents, blogs, um, content, those kinds of things. Um, but really, that that online uh, aspect is just a, a part of the the domain of ownership of a group who's responsible for that capability in the organisation. So we have capability improvement leaders. Um, as a service, actually, to improve the organizational capability in these different dimensions, and it's their responsibility to foster these communities. And those that do it well, uh, and we have quite a number that do do it well, are very effective at engaging hundreds of individuals across the organization to help um, both, uh, what did Troy say earlier, um, uh, not advocate, to evangelize, right? To evangelize the, these different dimensions of work, these different practice domains and saying, here's what we're doing, uh, here's where we're going, here's how we're trying to improve. But it's very much an open forum for collaboration so that we can both address uh, what are our needs? And I think that was another point I, I wanted to make earlier, and I think I made it very clearly, which is we can reduce the impact of all of this complexity, you know, dozens of capabilities, dozens of skills, many things like that, by always coming back to ask the question, what's the outcome that we're striving for? So that sense of purposefulness. If we are very clear on our purpose, whether that's to create some very uh, beneficial result for a customer or client or meet some other need or, you know, maybe mitigate or reduce some problem, uh, whatever it is, if we have a, a, a unifying sense of purpose, um, I have found that helps us a whole lot in 
not eliminating the complexity, but in uh, integrating the complexity in sort of coordinating in a way that helps us to be successful in kind of moving forward to try and continue to drive improvement. I don't know about you, Troy, but I feel like I'm a junior in college and I'm still kind of in my my gray sweatshirt and eating stupid stuff. And he's in grad school and he's the teaching assistant about to become the professor. I told you this guy was smart. <laughs> I just think you feel it feels like you're you're advanced, you're far ahead um, of uh, other places that I've been, certainly. So uh, that's that's the thing that's surprising me. And you're talking about it's like it's normal and everyday stuff. Well, you know, I think kind of break. Sorry, I was going to say, Troy. Just one, one thing about. I mean, I must say, sometimes uh, at work, uh, I'll get challenged, and people say, "Matt, you're a little too far ahead of where we are," and you know, bring it back a bit. But I'll tell you what I often come back with is, uh, I guess that point I just made about being purposeful, right? If we're clear on our purpose then we can figure out how to work together. And that kind of ties in with some of the stuff Troy was saying earlier around lean and agile, which is this cohesive teamwork, you know, openness and transparency and trust and, and, and being people-centric. You know, it, it takes us on this journey. So we can, if we can sort of see the, not the end of the journey, it's always a journey, but if we can see the distance a bit more clearly, we can work together to get there. You know, and then it doesn't really matter so much, you know, individual technical competence or understanding or knowledge if we have an environment where we're agreeing to work together to make things better than they are. So I'd like to think about it just in these practical sense. This is a lean concept as well, right? This concept of standard work. You can't really improve what you haven't defined as good. Or until you've defined what good looks like, you don't know if you're there or not or how far you need to go. Is there a gap? So in essence, for any capability, in essence, something we must be good at in order to deliver value, we have to understand what that capability looks like, how it delivers value. But there, the piece that, you know, came to very much the forefront uh, in the conversation that we had earlier with Matt and I and something we teach in lean leadership is not it's not enough just to think about the organizational capability, project management, architecture, change management, support, whatever it is. It's important to also follow through with the next conversation is what are the people skills and knowledge uh, combinations that are must be present in order to actually achieve that capability. Right? And, of course, then we can talk about technology in respect to automation. We've always been on about the people, 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 process, technology stack. I still believe that's what we're talking about here. Capability, process, synonymous more or less. But the reality is it's a three-stack process. We have to remember the people side of the capability. Well, yeah. the, uh, can I ask one more question, Matt? Sure. Um, so we got, we, I think we started this conversation like almost half an hour ago about this discussion around business value. So now the question is, you obviously have a job, they pay you well, so that's good. Um, but the, and I'm sure you have others that do what you do. Are you the man in the wilderness or are there, do you have a staff? Is there a department? No, I, I do. I do. I do have a team um, that, that helps me with this. I guess I am somewhat of the the leader of the team. You could certainly say that. That would be fair. But 
the good thing is we have a lot of people who are improvement leaders in different parts of the organization and, and I engage with them again really on these main these two main dimensions you know people who are helping us improve our services sort of they're focused on their service and how that can be improved and also people who are focused on improving organizational capabilities and you know maybe to what Troy was saying Troy I absolutely agree with you you know people process and tools is is a very easy triad and it makes sense and I agree it's like call it a process call it a capability and even services are kind of you know basically made of those building blocks that's true the difference that i've experienced is that improving organizational capabilities itself can be challenging especially when you're talking about an enterprise with tens of thousands of people when you say well how good are we at project management it's like well where are we talking right so that ability to to lead improvement and consistency of practice i think it's another great point troy and that's one of the sort of attributes of maturity is when an organization starts to behave consistently when it's following similar processes and techniques using you know common tools those kinds of things enable the organization to be more flexible in in sort of meeting its challenges because you don't have confusion you have you know some common approaches you can build up a, a base of skills you know all of those things come to the fore as you start to come together as an enterprise and not have have you know random silos of technique in in each of these different domains which is producing lots of innovation because of variability but it has a cost uh, defect complexity uh speed right. <laughs> when you have such variability back to lean conversation yep. right so so do you have are there actual business numbers that uh in terms of improvement where you can actually say to the business Based on what we've done over the last year, here's the here's the improved business result. I do, and I'll, I'll make it I'll make it a fairly short answer if I can, George. Um, which is one of the things I really like. I'm a fan of the balanced scorecard, and I'm a fan of it for a reason, which is that I get frustrated when people always want to connect results purely to financial outcomes, whether it's reduced expenditure or increased revenue. You know, you can't argue that those are sort of the top and tail of organizational performance. However, it's what goes on behind the scenes to produce those outcomes. You know, what what do we do to reduce expenditure? What do we do to drive revenue? Um, it, you know, it's it's a very incomplete picture to only look at financial results. So one of the things I like about the balanced scorecard is it gives you, you know, those basic perspectives of beyond the financial perspective. You can look at the customer perspective and you can say, how well are we improving our customer satisfaction or customer referrals or customer retention or other attributes of customer quality kind of responding to that voice of the customer, if you will. Uh, you know, then the next layer down is looking at that kind of internal perspective of, say, process performance, throughput, productivity, um, you know, incident rates. You know, you could sort of say they might be found within the internal process. And then, you know, that final perspective of learning and growth, looking at our ability to innovate, um, introduce new products and services, drive change, drive improvement, um, build the skills of our people. Um, and we have, you know, worked on uh, defining and using measures in each of those perspectives over the years so that we do have a more balanced perspective on organizational performance, not just saying, well, we have to kind of point everything to the distant horizon of some kind of financial result, which is difficult to show. And I think that would be the other thing I would say about measuring performance is we continue to work on ways to make sure that the performance of anything we're trying to measure is fairly closely associated with whatever that thing is, you know, how effective is our project management or how, you know, how effectively do we drive innovation or any of those things. We don't want to sort of have distant big picture enterprise results. We want to have near term results that we can have some traceability to those bigger picture results. Cool. Very well said. 
Well, Absolutely. We're, uh, we're approaching the end of our time together today, gentlemen. So uh, I'm going to get out of the way, and I'm going to let each of you have a closing statement. Well, I'm now going to be speaking about the four architectures. Right? <laughs> Technology, process, service, underpinned by the people architecture, which is, in essence, critical to match and deliver on those capabilities. Good, Troy. You learned right. something. <laughs> and I guess I will say, I mean, maybe it's a, it's my burden, but, you know, there's a lot more complexity beyond even those four architectures, but you've got to keep it simple for, for, for everyone who's involved. And I think that's so important is keep it simple, be very purposeful, right? If we can just focus on that, what's the, what's the outcome we're all striving towards? And one thing we didn't mention, but, you know, maybe worth people thinking about is how effective are we at driving change in our organization? How effective are we at getting people on board and leading... Um, you know, an inspiring change so that everyone is, is sort of paddling together and not just individual heroics. And the outcome that I want to achieve is I need to wrap this up, gentlemen. This was, I think, a very successful PR radio. Thank you very much, Matt Craig. You are obviously one of one of the smart people. And, uh, and that's saying something when Troy's on the call as well. So thank you, Troy. Thank you, Matt. And thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been PR Radio from Pink Elephant, number 72.